0: We have had such a blessed week together and it has so rapidly gone by. We just rejoice in the goodness of our God and the opportunities for fellowship and love that he provides for us. And maybe one of the ways that I can, in just a small measure, try to thank you for your gifts to us this week in light of some of the unique things that have happened in our home. Maybe I would just tell you what happened this afternoon. Suzanne was lying in the bed, resting, and she is having a, a better day today than she has had probably in any day during the last six weeks of her life. And uh, she started to cry, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, the kindness of the people, Daddy, the kindness of the people. I thought that would be an appropriate way to explain the gratitude and appreciation that she has, that we have, for your interest in this time of our lives. So I just want to bless you, and may, may, may the Lord richly reward the generosity of your hearts to us with the flowers and the wheat. She has never gotten that many flowers in her life. I think that one flower pot must have weighed close to 50 pounds. I have never seen anyone give a bouquet of flowers so big. It was, I have never seen anything like it. And I don't even know who gave it. But it was such a beautiful thing. And the gifts of food that have come... And the kindness that you have shown, may the Lord richly reward you, each and every one. And it's true, throughout this week we've been listening to the Word of God and paying attention to the voice of God, and we've been desiring to learn of God. But there is one more message that I think we should hear tonight. You see, this this whole thing has got to translate into living characters. This whole thing must translate into those of us who go from here. And so I want to give a parting message from my heart to the sponsoring congregations and to the precious friends and neighbors who have joined us in this tent this this week and especially tonight. And it will be in your life or my life the distinguishing characteristic of our God. One of his unique attributes. In which we can. Participate with our father. And I wanted to bring a message. On the fatherhood of God. And I wanted to bring a message here. And my wife told me this afternoon. But, but Dale. Take them to Revelation 4 and 5. And show them those scenes of Worship. Of the high God. So that we would know how to worship God. And and yes Suzanne. Yes dear girl. We'll have to save that for some other time. But 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 she wanted me. To bring these messages. And when I told her. What was on my heart for tonight. She laid her head on the pillow. And said yes. That, that's alright. That, that is okay. So there's someone back home there praying. And, and we'll trust the Lord tonight. But could we even just bow our heads for prayer? Dear God, there are needs in our hearts, there are needs in our homes, and there are needs in our churches. And we've tried to avoid looking at that this week. We have not said much about it. We wanted you, Father, to just minister to us. We wanted you just to draw near. We wanted to see the Lord. We wanted to see you high up. We wanted to see your train fill the temple. We want to hear your words. We want to see you as you are in Scripture. We want to see you as you've been revealed in Jesus. We want to see you as we see you in the lives of those that loved you and walked with you and knew you. And we want to leave this meeting with a renewed vision and a commitment in our hearts to go and do likewise. What we have seen you do, how we've seen you live, how we've seen you respond. and Dear Father, would that not heal? Would that not take care of it? Would that not help us? Would that not unite us? Would that not draw us together? Would that not pour oil upon the needs of men? If we would commit ourselves to doing that. As you have taught us to do it. As we see it in your holy life. and noble example. And on care for us as your children. Bless us tonight, dear God. Together we pray you would speak to us. Bless this assembly we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. There are several New Testament words that are often closely related to each other that is when we see the one of these words we see another one of these words they're they're often together in the New Testament I will give you several of those pairs of words grace and mercy faith and life spirit and power and this list goes on But there are two very basic words that affect us in our churches, affect us in our homes, affect us in our relationships one with another. They are the words love and fellowship. I'd just like to ask if we could consider those few words tonight. And uh, there are some of you, dear sisters up front here that are taking notes and maybe other places in the tent too. And I will just give you a, a title so that you know what you're talking about and can... Then rearrange your thoughts in those notes that you're taking according to this title, The Gift of Costly Love. That's the title of the message tonight. The Gift of Costly Love. So i want to just ask you several questions as we start this meditation. Am I truly experiencing fellowship with other believers? Or am I very much alone in my life? You know, am I involved in a brotherhood? Am I part of a fellowship of of believers working together? Or do I find myself apart? I just want you to think about that. And then we go deeper. Am I able to draw others into fellowship? Or do I think that those others are too unlike me, too unlike us, to ever be included? It would kind of maybe feel better for us if they'd go to that church down the street. If they would maybe find another place to uh, identify. I wouldn't feel so good if they would really take a deep interest in who we represent. How are you there? Well, how do we feel about that? Am I able to help heal hurting hearts? Or do I cause that hurt? And loss of fellowship. Do I have oil in my horn? Am I pouring oil on the needs of others? If somebody was hurting and struggling, would they feel free to come and ask for help? Ask for someone to at least listen to their story. Am I willing to spend and be spent until problems are solved? Or do I conclude that the case is impossible and thus excuse myself from any further bother concerning the matter? How many times have we felt comforted? How many times have we felt that we are now able to take steps forward when certain people or families or members in our congregations and Christian communities that were not finding their way very well finally decided to leave and go someplace else and we sigh with relief and we relax and we discover, you know, that's, we really have had some blessings now since they've gone and, and peace now seems to prevail since they are no longer here. Would you, Try to evaluate that a little bit. What what does that sound like to you? Are are you comfortable with that? Evaluation of the needs of men? I'm not comfortable with that. I'm, I'm having trouble Something doesn't seem right. Not after what I have heard this week in this tent. I'm glad I rejoice that God didn't think that way about me. I would be in sad shape today. You see, all of us are on one side or the other with those questions I ask. These questions burden the heart of God. And they lead lead us directly to the life and the message of Jesus and explain why he willingly came to this world. For as we've heard already this week, for God so loved that he gave if you finish that sentence, it's a tremendous sentence. He gave his only begotten son and gave him in a very unusual way, a very costly way. The gift of costly love. Let's just look in our Bibles a little bit here. John chapter 13. I've spoken much from John this week, and usually I preach more from John than from anywhere this week we didn't. The chapters of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are my favorite chapters in the Bible. They're also, in my mind, the deepest chapters in the Bible. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. We have no trouble quoting those verses by memory. Chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. It's it's a qualified commandment here. It's not just we love one another, but we're told how to do it. And unless we know God, we cannot obey this verse. The Holy Spirit will not be given to those who do not obey this. And no one will need to obey it who does not choose to do it. And who does not pursue the heart of God long enough to know how this is done? How does God do this that he says he's doing here? And we see in Jesus Christ how God does it. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call ye not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. And ordained you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name. He may give it you. These things I command you. That ye love one another. The gift of costly love. Is always found at the same place. If you went to Walmart. You want to buy a gift. You want to buy the gift of costly love. You want to find out where is this commodity obtained. It's always found anywhere in the world at the exact same place. I'm going to tell you where it is. And don't forget this. It's always found in between two people. That's where it is. Costly love is found between two souls. It's found between two persons. And that love is always moving. That love is not static. It is moving. It's like electricity. It's moving. It's like light. It's moving. As soon as it stops moving, it stops to exist. We troubled the sound system the other night. We troubled these lights up here the other night. And as soon as that electricity stops flowing, it stops. It's not there. And and light is light because it's traveling. If it would stop traveling, you wouldn't see a thing. It would be darkness. And that's the way love is. Love is moving. And for love to move, two things must happen. We heard about the one thing a few nights ago. For love to flow, two things must happen. Somebody must love. Be extending love. Sharing love. Putting those pulses of love and interest in the life of another. And somebody must be willing to receive it. Those two things must happen. For there to be true love. It happens between two people. And the love moves two directions. From one who dearly loves. Into one who is in great need of that love. And from this point of view. We focus on the ministry of the church. The, The church is here to minister. As Christ ministered. As God wanted it done. God sent his son to do that. Came down here on this in this earth. Was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He came down here to do this. To minister to others. He did that. Throughout his life. It reaches the heart of an estranged. And erring. And offended or alien life. And from this perspective. It is evangelistic. And offers hope to the many needy people around us. And no matter where you are. There's someone who's excommunicated. There's someone who's lonely. There's someone who's out of fellowship. There's someone who does not have a church. There's someone who's lost in sin. There's someone who's addicted addicted to something. There are families torn apart. There are husbands and wives not together. It's all over the place. And here we are with the answer for those needs. I find myself Tonight and throughout life, I find myself on both sides of that place where costly love is found. I found myself many times being the person who was in great need of it. I found myself with the undeserved and unmerited opportunity to share love with others. But many times I have been a place where I needed it from somebody else. You know what that's called? If you're an electrician, you know what that's called? Any electricians here tonight? You know what that's called? Alternating current. Sixty cycle. Sixty Hertz. A second. That's tremendous, isn't it? You know what the Bible calls that? Koinonia. Fellowship. Communion. That's what the Bible calls it. Beautiful words here. Beautiful terms. And it's the heart of our God. But before I can love another, I must be willing to see my need of that in my own life. It will probably cost somebody very dearly to love me It has cost somebody very dearly to love me. I could let Suzanne share with you her testimony, what it has cost her. Her love won. It took a long time 27 years. I can't relive those 27 years, but she was living on a one-way street there for a long time in our marriage. So we have several points tonight. We'll try to cover these and and, and get you back home because you have busy days tomorrow. And It's just been such a blessing to be in this tent and such a joy to see the attitude of these dear people fellowshipping together. I just do want to bless you for that this week. But I do have to leave these words with you. Please follow tonight as we share about this gift of costly love. This first point. It is always costly to truly love. Love is not a cheap commodity. Love is a very intense thing. Love is a self-sacrificing gift. Love is a costly gift. To truly love is going to hurt. To truly love is going to cost. To truly love will take time. To truly love is going to be a big investment. To truly love means that something about myself will have to be given up. It means that something that I would have wished for myself and would have held dear will be denied. It's going to be costly to love. Love is a costly thing. L- love, is, love is not easy to do. I think of a doctor in El Salvador, the country there in Central America, very populous country, though very small. This doctor was suffering from very, very serious things and feelings and in internal internal questions. And I found out about it. And I wrote a sermon. I, I prepared an entire sermon with all the notes and references, wrote it all out long-handed, and, and sent it to this doctor. It was quite a while later till I had a chance to visit this dear person. And this is what I heard. But, but, but brother you 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 wrote all of that for me. you wrote all of that for me. He wrote all of that for me. You know when we have that attitude, we owe a lot. We owe a lot. We'll never get it paid. We owe a lot. And God gives us every once in a while little opportunities to just share something that we received from Him in the first place. We, it came from God in the first place. It's God's in the first place. It's our partnership with God. It's our communion with God. It's, it's, it's our being in, in union with God. It's, it's what happens when there's a vine and there's branches. It's what happens when this vine puts this life in Vitality and sap into the branches. And out in these branches, these clusters begin to form. And it's that union. And, and, and God wants it to be formed on us. He wants that fruit on our vine. On our branches. And He's the vine. He provides it. But he's looking for those branches. It's all of God. And people are benefited as they find it. The worth of someone's life. Is equal to what someone else is willing to invest into it. I think, Sister Lydia, of what your family invested in the life of a little girl in fourth and fifth grade. Little life that was stifled and she was struggling and she would not talk and would not laugh and would not sing and would not play. And she was burdened with terrible things that were said about her and awful things that had happened to her. And someone invested and invested and invested. And that life opened up. And look what God has done. You see the value of anybody. Is determined by what someone's willing to invest in it. And, and when you get the impression that it's over, you get the impression that we've tried hard enough. You get the impression that there's no more hope for you. You get the impression that we have done all for you that we can. And, and how many times, and, and please, dear people, tonight, how many times have we given somebody that impression? A, a terrible thing to do to, to the soul of a man. Or oh, to a child, to a lady, to a child, a young person. And how many times have we done that? And and God and God tries and tries again. Would you ever consider what God had to do to save the city of Nineveh? Would you think what God had to do to get that city saved? And what God thought of those people there. Cheap love. Is an invention of the world. It's not known in God. Second Samuel, we'll use the scriptures here tonight. Second Samuel 24, this is David here. A beautiful passage that impresses itself upon us very, very clearly on this point. Verse 24 of chapter 24, David is speaking. The king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, my God, of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. What costs nothing is worth nothing. I won't do it for nothing. I will pay for this. I, I want this sacrifice to be acceptable to God. I'm willing to pay for it. Agape love is costly. Though it asks no no repayment. Expects no reward. Anticipates No recognition. It's a one-way street. It's willing to do it. No, nothing comes back. It's willing to give it. It loves because there's a need for it. It loves because the need still exists. It loves because the life is not yet changed. It loves because the need is still there. It loves because we didn't get there yet, but God is going to bless us and He's going to invest Himself in us and give us what we need. As we said out there tonight, that things warm up there in the sky, it's going down towards the west, but it made a tremendous amount of heat in Berks County, Pennsylvania today and you didn't exhaust it. And you can plant this thing with you can plant this thing with petunias or sunflowers or tulips and you can plant all of the county and the state with it and you cannot exhaust the power that's up there and there's more to go and more to go. That's the way love is. And the Bible says it never fails. And Spanish is stronger than that. It says that nunca de de. ser. It never ceases to exist. It goes on and on and you use it and you exhaust it and you you think you do and you you expend it. But, you know, all we're doing is we have a little tiny drinking straw that's one sixteenth of an inch in diameter. We have it sticking in the ocean and we suck on that and you didn't do a thing. You didn't do any damage to the ocean. Uh, And even that's a poor illustration because you did take something out of it. There is less there than there was. It's not that way with love. It's not that way with God's love. Someone is in need. Someone is lost. Someone is dying. Someone is sinking into sin. Someone is suffering. Someone is homeless. My granddaughter went to the city of Harrisburg today, picked up a young lady that's in great difficulty and need, brought her from Harrisburg to their congregation for the service this morning. This girl told my granddaughter that she has no friends. She doesn't know where to go to tell her story. She doesn't know who has interest in her. She spends all her time in her apartment in the city of Harrisburg. Somebody is opposing himself. Someone is ignorant of his present danger and darkness. Someone does not know the difficulty that they are in. They don't know the pending doom before them. They don't know where their steps are taking them. They don't know the damage they're doing to their marriage. They don't know what careless words are harming their children. In love response, we see that costly love, that gift of costly love in the life of the good Samaritan or the good neighbor, whatever you choose to call that story. In Luke chapter 10, and others saw the need that was there. It was very, very obvious. This is bad shape over here. And, and and only one stopped. And only one paid the price. And only one made the investment. And only one got out the, the, the oil and the wine. And, and had those wraps and those bandages. And only one put him on that beast and took him to the inn. And only one had a little, a few monedas in his pocket. And he paid what he could but didn't have enough. And he said, I'll try to come back and pay the rest of it later. Only one. And I told you in this tent that I have been indebted because if we've seen further than other people, it's only because we've stood in the shoulders of giants and I had the chance to stand in the shoulders of giants. And one of those giants was Brother Paul Smith from Alight, Ohio. And before most of these people that are present here tonight knew anything about it, the right hand from their left, he was preaching in the... Uh, Blue Rock Meeting House that was just built in 1970. It was a brand new building and there's Paul Smith in his pulpit. I was there to hear what he said. He told this story. I have never forgotten this story. My only regret about this story is I don't know how many times this story could have been said about me. But they had to travel someplace on a Greyhound bus. And when they got on that Greyhound bus, they were traveling along a while, and after a while the bus stopped at a bus stop in a certain town, and uh, 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 some religious people got on the bus, and they they were obviously people that had some tradition about them and had their way of doing things, and they were evidently very used to bus travel. They were dressed very, very plainly. They looked, you know, like they were. Quite different from everybody else around on that bus. And they went to the back of the bus and sat down. And soon the back of that bus was lit up with cigar smoke. The whole thing was back there. You know, you thought the engine was on fire. The smoke was filling the back of the bus. And as they were going down the road, there was a tanker truck carrying fuel going before the bus. And who knows what happened? I don't know what happened. You don't know that bus, that truck went off the edge of the road, off the the super highway. And went into a ditch and rolled over and this cab is, on, is under the bottom and the wheels are on the top. And this, this t- tanker trailer is sliding down through the ditch there. And the bus driver pulled over to the side and, and stopped and stood up and looked back across the bus and said, I plan to get down there and see if we can help that man. If, would anybody be willing to go along? Brother Paul Smith was on that bus and he looked back. All these big strong men that he gotten on this bus and this smoke that was back there and everyone stayed sitting. And no one get up to go along with the bus driver and Brother Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'll go with you. And the two of them went down there to find this man trapped in that. You know why they didn't get up. You know the danger that's down there in that ditch. You know what happens to trucks that roll over filled with fuel. You know what possibilities exist in a case like that? Love is costly. And just like that man was trapped in that truck, we got people trapped in churches and trapped in the streets and trapped in marriages and trapped in homes. And where is the gift of costly love? And love is always costly. And God knows the cost. If anyone knows the cost, God knows the cost. There are five stanzas in a well known gospel hymn that show the cost of, of true love. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of a fold, but one was out in the hills away far off from the gates of gold. You know that song, don't you? And there were hands rent and torn. And there was a lonely night out there searching. And someone invested because the lamb was worth it. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is worth it. Let's bring the lamb home. Ninety-nine in this fold. One is out. The gift of costly love. You look at Calvary will readily reveal the gift of costly love. Love is empty of self. Love is love is empty of selfishness. Love loves as long as there is life. It loves as long as it can love. It loves as long as the need for love remains. It loves until the end. Love never fails. Love did not fail. It tells us that in John 13. We we read that time after time after time in our services of Love feast and of communion services and we break bread and we get out those basins and we have some towels there and someone reads it to us. Chapter 13, it says he loved unto the end. And we have a division in the congregation before the next love feast, before the next communion service, before the next Lord's Supper, before the next time we break bread. It's a kind of amazing, isn't it? Here's a very human, a very natural illustration that happened to me. I was on the AMBU team and I worked in a hospital. An AMBU team is that group of people that are designated when there's a stat, when there's a cardiac arrest, when someone stops breathing in a certain place in the hospital, they come as quickly as they can, running at top speed. They don't take the elevators, they run up the steps. Each one has a place on that team, a responsibility when they get there. There's an order, an administrative order. Someone's in charge, each one is under that authority. The idea is to save a life. We were called to pediatrics. The child was very small. He almost looked like a preemie. By the time I got there, a doctor had been there before I was. He already had the baby on the floor because we needed room all around here to put equipment and room all around here for people to get up to it, to do what they needed to do. They put some mats on the floor and the baby was on the floor and the doctor was already hard at work. The team gathered together. It was my job to bring the equipment there on a cart. And that the cart had everything on it we needed to save a life. And I remember that night. We worked from 11 to 7 in the morning. This child was there listless and lifeless. And that doctor was working, working, and nurses. And we worked for 10 minutes and couldn't get it. We worked for half an hour and could not do it. We worked for an hour on that baby everyone was struggling and we were sweating and we were trying. And the doctor looked up at the staff, at his crew, at his team. And he said, we will need to stop. And as soon as he said that, those registered nurses burst out into tears. And no one wanted to quit. But we had done what we could. And could go no more. And love loves as long as there's life to love. And, and you know, Jesus didn't win every one of them. Some of them went away, sad. And some went out and hung themselves. Some went and did wrong. And some loved this present world. But you love as long as you have a chance to love. I'm very, very thankful for those experiences I had. Working in the emergency room. Working in the intensive care unit. I guess that's why when I see people struggling in the church. I feel that we cannot give up. We must love. And just invest more. Just invest more. As long as it's possible to do it. But that illustration helps me understand. the love God's. How God sees needy and hurting people when he brings them into our lives and congregations. The measure of hell we ought to love is this standard as I have loved you. What does true love cost? Second point. And the simple answer comes with another question. A lot of times a good teacher will answer one question with another one. What does true love cost? Let's listen to another question. What does the struggling neighbor need? What is the problem? What is missing in the life? What is it that's needed there? Love will cost whatever it takes to meet that need. And if that would be a new house after a tornado, we would probably readily offer Two weeks as an immediate responder on a CAM cam project. Were that a food parcel or a warm comforter or a Bible for China? We would rise to the challenge. We would do something about that. Were that two weeks or two months on a mission trip to a foreign land, many would be willing to go and do that. And, and there's cost involved with that. There's some sacrifice involved with that. I bless you for doing that. But the cost of true love is quite another thing. We can do all those things that I just mentioned and leave lives unchanged. We can leave, we do all those things and be all the while under the impression and having reached the conclusion that there's nothing to be done in this case. You see, they were at that congregation, got turned away. They tried it over there. didn't work either. They're just wonders. They go from place to place. They, They don't fit anywhere. That's just the way they are. The need remains. They're lonely and need fellowship. Need to understand. Need to find their way just like the rest of us do. I think you expected me to go to First Corinthians 13. I think that would be appropriate. Would you do that? And We start at verse 4 here. Charity that is love. Costly love. Suffereth long. That's quite an interesting message in three words. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity bondeth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not a Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Costly love. hopeeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never fails to be. It never fails to be there. Charity never faileth. I'm trying to give you there the Spanish rendering of that. Those three words. Now the. I was impressed, you know, I don't understand how you do things here in the States. We wouldn't do it that way in Costa Rica. When I was working in the hospital, it was certainly not that way, but in that emergency room on Monday afternoon. The team of people, the tremendous number of people that come into that place and they ask you questions, they want to check things out. And there were registered nurses, there were surgeons, there were in-house, uh, the in-house medical staff, there were administrative people from the hospital that came in there. There were pharmacy people that came in there. There were x-ray people in there. There were lab people in there. It was an amazing amount of people. And as I was there, I was thinking, well, probably each one of these folks would like a paycheck at the end of the week. I was thinking about that too. But I noticed something, and I want to share it with you. The surgeon asked for some other v- views of that x-ray to be done, and he, that was done for him, and he looked at that, and came to me and said, That this break did not just happen. It's been there for a while. Yes, someplace between one and six weeks, we were not quite sure how long. And not one nurse, not one doctor of that professional staff ever chided either me or my wife for bringing such a case to their hospital. When somebody should have done something about it long ago. The need was now. The need was here. Look at these x-rays. This is the problem. Let's do what we can do. Mr. Heisey, I'm afraid it would not be very wise to try to fix those bones. The location of the injury, the age of the injury, the shatteredness of those bones... Recovery time is going to be extremely long and we take a tremendous risk of infection and of not ever really having a good healing of that bone. I think we better do something different and put a replacement in there. Explain why, explain how you want to do it, ask if we thought that would be okay. That was the attitude. And why don't I have that attitude towards the needs that I find around me? The needs that people have in their lives. Love suffereth long, long suffering. How long is that? Suffering long. Go to Calvary, kneel down at the foot of the cross, and ask our Savior, "What does long suffering mean, Jesus?" You've been through a lot this day. You've been through a lot over this night. You've been through a lot through the early hours of this morning. You have faced four trials before you came to this cross. You have faced all kinds of mockings and scourgings and you've had all kinds of taunting or remarks tossed into your face. You've been railed upon. How long is long suffering, Jesus? Can you tell me how long that is? The gift of costly love. Practical patience. Faith, believing, we can suffer longer. We can try again. We can make another visit. We can go one more time. It hopes when others are sure that all is hopeless. My daughter taught me something and she wasn't trying to teach me. She didn't know what she was teaching me, but she planted an orange tree in front of our house. And this tree didn't grow. This tree was oh, it was about this high. It was planted there and it was dead. It was brown from here to here. No leaves. No growth. It just stood there. You might as well put a yardstick in the ground. It's not going to grow. Or a dowel rod. And so I decided to take a shovel out there and dig it out, throw it away. It was not worth anything. And I got my shovel. I thought I'm going to do something. I get down on my knees and looked at this Dead branch, and about the size of a quarter inch measure on a yardstick, there was a little green leaf coming out of the side of that dead stick. I said, I said, what? And within two years, that tree was large. Shortly after that, it started bearing oranges. We got oranges and oranges and oranges. You say, Brother Dale, you can't work with people all the time. You say, Brother Dale, there's a there comes a time to excommunicate, there comes a time to lay down the cause, there comes a time to tell people that we've gone as far as we can go, and is isn't there a stopping point. Love suffereth long, it is kind. Let me tell you something. Look for the little green leaf. What is the little green leaf? You go to that person's house, that struggling brother, that person that's harried, that person that's failing, that person that you've you've tried and tried and no results, and they fall back into it again. And and you think you've got it now, and they repeat the same thing, and you you think it's long enough now, it's time to quit. And you go there with this book, it's called the Bible. And you go there and you share some verse verse of Scripture, and and you try to minister to their need and help them see what the Scripture says about their problem. And ask the Lord in patience. Ask the Lord for grace. Ask the Lord as you speak. Ask the Lord as you're in that home. Dear God, give me an indication of their response to your truth. What response will they give to your word? You know that heart says, "Thank you. I, I, I appreciate hearing that. I, I, I guess I didn't quite see it like that. I." And there's a response to God's word. There's a green leaf. Keep blowing upon the embers, the smoking flax he will not quench a bruised reed he will not break until he brings forth mercy to judgment. You're still there to serve when that's the case. when you see that happening? What is costly love? There's no self-seeking. It suffers in silence and invests in secret. One of my wife's favorite hymns contains this stanza. In the work that no man knoweth. Where no praiseful trumpet bloweth. Where he may not reap who soweth. There Lord. Let thee work thy will O Lord. That's. A fitting testimony. To her life. It implies a life of faith. It says here believe with all things. Believe what? Believes that a demoniac with chains dangling from the wrists, wrists can be changed. Clothes sitting in his right mind, listening to the words of Jesus. He believes that a life that is lost in pornography and immorality can be purified by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that. Believes that financial failure and, in, and irresponsibility can be transformed into productivity. A tithing and a contributing member, contributing member to the congregation. It believes that. Because it sees in others what God sees and knows what God can do and prays and intercedes and seeks opportunities to help and offers hope and throws out the lifeline until someone is saved. And we claim to believe the gospel of peace. We claim to profess Non-resistant love. We claim to be different from some of our neighbors and religious groups around us because we are sold in this idea of non-resistant love. We greet one another with a kiss of peace and love. We wash feet and break bread together. And then they turn around and experience a breach in our union before the next Lord's Supper. We emphasize brotherhood, but find it very, very difficult to be torches together. I would just like to ask a couple of questions. I was preaching at a large church. This was not in a tent, it was in a congregation. The congregation's larger than ours at home. And, and I went to the blackboard, there was a board back here behind the pulpit. And I took a piece of chalk and I did some math up there. I asked them how many church members they had in their congregation. The bishop was sitting here in the front. The elder, he gave me. I put that number up there. I did did a quick percentage calculation and this is what I said to the congregation. I said, if your percentage of reclaimed excommunicated members that you brought back into the congregation would be the same as ours in Costa Rica, if the ratio would be the same, you would have 46 members in this church that were one day excommunicated and now have been brought back into the fellowship. 46 members! In that congregation. Of about 120 members. Just to help you understand. The responsibility of reclaim lives. What does it take to bring someone back that has gone away? What does it take to restore someone who was lost? What does it take? They've gone out from us. But we love them. And they find out about it. And they can't shake it. We had one man who was away from our congregation for 15 years. I don't know how many times I went to see him. I'm not going to try to count. I don't remember. But one day I heard something from him that gave me tremendous courage. He said... That every time we're in that church service and he's walking the street down that, past the meeting house and he hears the singing inside that building, he cannot stand it. He, he just does not know what to do when he hears the singing in that building. Today he is a faithful member in our congregation. It took a long time to get him back. There are more that we must win back that we don't have back yet. You leave the 99 and go find the one that's lost. Are there, are there prodigals in your congregation that you've brought back home? Can we heal the wounded, the sin sick, the lonely, the addicted? Is there anyone that you feel is hopeless? Many are helpless, but is there anyone hopeless? Not as long as there's life. I want to look at this matter of cost 11 and practice and then we want to quit. Matthew 18 talks about cost of love. Go alone. You don't need to tell everyone you're going. Go alone. Go win him. Gain your brother. Go. He's worth it. Gain your brother. You can't do without your brother. The eye cannot say the hand. I have no need of you. The brother is not that way. He's worth it. He's a gift from God. He's one of the members. We need this brother. that brother I'm having a problem with might be worth more in the congregation under God's anointing that I am. Do what we can do with him back. Keep him here. You know, Warren von Braun. They, they, they were done with him in Germany. You be out of here. He came to America. A creation scientist. A a, a, a uh a scientist who was responsible became the head of NASA and put the United States on the moon. He had tremendous capacity, tremendous com- complementary contribution to this country. And they lost it. We gained it. I've seen that happen in churches. Over here it didn't work. Over here it was a tremendous blessing. Gain your brother. If it didn't work, take, take two or three with you. And you don't need to go to those two or three and pump them all up and tell them the whole story and get them on your side before you go. If you really want to gain that brother, and let me give you a little point there. If you want to really gain your brother, do not even tell those other two or three why you're going. And don't explain it until you get there. And then that person you're trying to gain who's been offended, who's done something wrong, who's who is kind of on the edge and the fringes of things, he, he hears you say it. And then you say this, as you're explaining, and he may explain his side too, and he's explaining to these two or three that came with you, or one or two that came with you, excuse me. You say, the reason I brought you here is that in case I'm the one that's wrong. I mean, if, if I'm the one that's wrong, please help me. I, I, I have you here, I might be the one that's wrong. Costly love. And and if that didn't work, you may tell it to the church. It's costly love. We have this in Galatians 6.1. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself. And that word restore, as many of you by this time know. You've heard enough of preaching to know it. The first time that's found in the Bible is in the the first, first of the Gospels. Where the disciples are there, the fishermen along the Sea of Galilee in the morning. And they were fishing all night. They brought their nets out. There were holes in the nets. And so these fish were sitting there mending their nets. A net with a hole that is worth nothing in the the ocean. Or in the Sea of Galilee. And so you mend that net. And when you mend that net, although it is 15 years old, it's as good as what it was new. Because it catches fish. And that's what the word restore means. It's, It's the same word it's used about four times in the Greek New Testament. Restore such a one. 1956 Chevy. Restore it. 55, 57 Chevy. And it's it's as good as it ever was. As useful as it ever was. It may be better. Better tires, better oil, better gasoline, better fuel. It's better, better than ever. Restore it. Restore that net. Restore that brother. Restore him in a spirit of meekness. Costly love. The gift of costly love. We learn this from God. You think about that lost sheep. You think of searching. Tell you stories about that. Searching for a, a lost person. Hours and hours and hours spent trying to find that person. Now having no idea where they are, trying to find them. That, that that's an important person, a life that meant so much to God, means so much to the church. Where are they? Find them. Brother Tim Sanders was a California state policeman. You're 1994. 1994 and 20. is two, 2014. In 1994, he parked his. California state trooper cruiser. In front of his house. His neighbor parked his cruiser. In front of his house. They both were California state policemen. Neighbors lived across the road of each other. Brother Tim Sanders was in the house and there was his wife and his children. He had nine children. And he and his wife made a decision. They've been reading their Bibles, studying their Bibles. They decided they're going to leave this life that they have with their television sets and their secure job in the California government. And they're going to join a Bible-believing church and look for a Bible group of people. They're going to find a group of people someplace that obeys the Scripture, the things they've been studying as a family. He made that decision. Became a friend of mine. I appreciate him. He told me, Brother Dale, our problem in our churches is this. We don't have time for the needs of men. The struggle comes along. We get a committee of three people together. They come in for a weekend. They have a couple meetings with a couple people think they understand the whole problem. They need to go back by Monday to be on their job. They make a couple decisions. By Sunday night, take off with the next jet that flies out of here and leave the churches with the problems and no one ever investigated, no one ever understood, no one ever heard the other side of the story. And we don't solve problems. That's wisdom from a man who was not raised this way. We need more time. It takes time to truly love. We need enough love to be able to take our Bibles explain to these dear people exactly what the spiritual problem is, what the marriage problem is, what the moral problem is. The reason for the lack of fellowship, what's going on in life. Try to help them see what it is in kindness. Love suffereth long and is kind. We need to come alongside like a defense lawyer and say, brother, if you're truly willing, sister, if you're really looking for help, if you'd be willing to have someone help you, count on me, I'm here. I will walk with you through this. I'll represent you to others like Barnabas did to Saul Saul when he came down there to those other 12 apostles. A defense lawyer at his side. Many times the answers to these problems elude us because we don't communicate enough. Communication requires love, requires time. Requires listening, requires being quiet. Try to understand. I'm going to just make two more points about this matter of how costly love works in practice. There are two edges to the sword, the two-edged sword. On this edge is truth. On this edge is mercy. And every time those two words are found in the same verse in the Bible, mercy always comes first. Except in one case. Where it's making a negative statement instead of a positive statement. Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. And to use the truth on a person's life without an equal degree of mercy will destroy that person rather than defy that person. An equal degree of truth and mercy involved in the process. And then I want to say one more thing. A needy person. A wasted life. It looks hopeless. Bouncing around from place to place. Cannot fit in. Do not know what's wrong. Opposing themselves. Finding no help or answers. And the Lord gives you an opportunity. I'm going to teach you this. Learn to worship. Before you go to minister to that person. What does that mean? Learn to worship. Explain that to us, Dale. What do you mean by that? I will tell you a story. We uh, never gave our national members in our congregation of Marseille the opportunity to participate and personally contribute to a defining and agreeing together of the positions that we felt would be practical, proper for us as a congregation in the mountain there where we live. The congregation helped us to sponsor this years ago. Many years prior, Had we just used their positions, did never ever work on this on our own, and we decided it would be, be an appropriate thing to do, to sit down as brothers and just take a look at our positions and what we're standing for here and our doctrinal statements and review this and see to it that it fits into the mindscape and the frame of thinking of our national people in, 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 this, in this time. And so we did that. And included in that process, we gave everyone in the congregation the opportunity to say anything they wanted to say about any of the positions that we had. And we had two young ladies in the congregation, single girls, who made some statements about one of our positions that I was was quite offended with. I was very, very disappointed that two national girls would ask this question in their survey sheet. Why must we look like nuns when we were on the streets of the town, wouldn't there be a way to dress that we wouldn't stand out like this and look like nuns? And I, my heart sank when I read that. I just felt a distance immediately take place between me and those two girls in our church. I just felt immediately like I, I cannot accept that. There's just, this will not work. So I prayed about it. And it seemed like God said something like this. Dale, I want you to stay on your knees until you think about those two girls the way I think about them. And when you think about those two young ladies the way I think about them, you will be able to help them. But until then, there's something wrong. Your spirit must be the same as my spirit. You must believe what I believe. You must do what I want done. You cannot do that until you see it like I see it. Do you know what worship is? Worship is placing myself before God until I become as like him as I can become. Did we worship in this tent this week? We did if something happened to my nature, to my heart, to my words, to my attitudes towards others. then I begin to think about other people and think about myself and think about our situations with the mind of God. My concepts are corrected and I'm seeing a new God. And I'm seeing the, seeing it in a unique and a new way. And I become more like him in my responses to life, in my desires and visions and my values. I started praying for these two young ladies. One time I was in prayer for them. It was a rather extended period of time and the floor got wet. I started weeping for these two girls. I all of a sudden saw the beauty of these two young ladies. I all of a sudden saw the contribution that they're making to our congregation. I all of a sudden saw what God can do in the lives of these people because I knew they were sincere, maybe sincerely wrong, but sincere. And with that whole different attitude, I began to speak to these two young ladies. If you would ask them tonight how they feel about their congregation, its practices and positions, and what they wish to change, I think in their simplicity they would say something like this. Change. What what did you mean? Change. We, we have a beautiful church. We like our church. We, we're glad to be part of our church. We just want to be here. The change was not in them. The change was in the pastor. I want you to catch that tonight. And if we're going to help men, we must worship. And we will see them as God sees them. And we stay there before the presence of the Lord until we receive words from him. And what should we say to this person? I have this habit as a pastor when someone needs correction in the church, someone needs a word, I try to stay on my knees until I hear God tell me what I should say to that person when I get there or what I should do when I get there. And when I feel that's somewhat clear in my mind, then I go. And then I've had this experience. Is it okay if I tell you? I have gone to see those people already and have never ever said the reason why I went because it wasn't necessary when I got there. And what's God doing all that time? He's working here. You and I need God's love too. You and I need the church too. You and I need a pastor too. You and I need love too. And there's costly love and there are those who are willing to love us that way. If you would just take this message in a practical way out into your communities and homes I have no doubt what God would do. May I say one more thing? If you're a Bible reader, if you have family worship in your home, just take some time to read the Gospel of Luke. I would like to have done it tonight. We don't have time. And read the story of costly love, what Jesus invested in the lives of sinners in the book of Luke. The word sinner, sinners, is found in the book of Luke more than is found in any other book in the Bible. And look what Jesus did to sinners. And look at Jesus' love for sinners. And look what it cost Jesus to minister to sinners. And go with him to the prodigal son's father's house. And look what was done for that son. And get the heart of our Savior. And go with the lady who's sweeping the floor for those to find that one piece that was missing. And that shepherd that went out under the hill. And go with him as he stops under a sycamore tree. And looks up into the branches. And talks to a little man. of A little, a little short fellow up there in the bushes. And follow him to the house. And listen to the sneering remarks that come. Because he went in there. And listen how Jesus responded. And I did not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. A friend of publicans and sinners. Go thou and do likewise. It's as close to the nature of God as you can get when you're willing to love someone that everyone else has given up on. And, And then when you allow them Someone to love you. Please hear those words tonight. Go forth in that spirit. And the God of peace shall be with you. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And he is our God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time tonight. For this fellowship this week for this reverent audience, for these quiet children, for these well-cared-for babies, for these dedicated mothers, these precious young people that are in this tent, the neighbors that have gathered in with us tonight. I want to thank you for the love of God to us, the love of our Lord Jesus demonstrated on Calvary in his natural work of walk of life and the people he met. There are wounded people along the highway to Jericho, wherever we go, dear Father. And sometimes we are those wounded ones. And sometimes we need the help of others. Help us to humbly walk with you, dear God, so we can receive what we need and be willing to understand what others need. And build our churches in that way and don't let any go astray and help us try with all the strength you give us and the suffering that it might cost us to win everyone back to you and not let anyone go off without knowing that they were dearly loved and greatly appreciated. And we tried all we could to save that life on that Ambu team. I pray, dear Father, that your blessing would be upon this assembly. But I'm concerned tonight for someone who's lost and lonely here, someone who's struggling here, Someone who does not have that first-hand experience with God's great grace and blessing in their lives. And someone who is trapped or lost in a homeless and helpless situation. Would you offer hope tonight and give them an opportunity to find their way back home to you? We ask tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Stanley, do you have a song that we can sing together tonight? Number 103. It's softly and tenderly. It's the way that God calls. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's part of his costly love. He invites you to come. You've heard God speaking to you throughout this week. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. You need to make right some wrongs that are between you and a brother in your congregation. You need to take care of an offense that is hurting somebody else tonight. You need to restore some things in your home, and your marriage. You need to experience God's love for the first time and the forgiveness of sins and the grace that comes from heaven to change the life into the image of God. Would you come tonight forward here as we sing this his hymn, Sing It Brother, tonight.